Aloha, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Doze Knows with your favorite podcast host, yours truly, Dozer Dave. Ha! Hope you guys have had a great week. I know I have. I live here in Hawaii. So you guys all know I get to surf and hunt and fish every day, hang out with all my friends, my family. And this week I got to hang out with a good friend of mine, David Cunningham, who I haven't seen in a while. And David is a big Hollywood uh, director, producer. And I just got to find out that he has his own movie studio right here in Kona. Kind of blew me out of the water. Honua Studios. And this place is rad. So we got to do the podcast right in there in his sound room. And he got to tell us all kinds of cool stories um, about some of the stuff he's done and where he's going. Uh, you might remember him from from To End All Wars, that movie with Kiefer Sutherland and Beyond Paradise. Or that mini-series that was on ABC that was so controversial, Path to 9-11. It was so controversial, even the Clintons jumped in on this one. And uh, So sit back, relax, enjoy what he has to say. And Dave, welcome to the show. For joining me on the show today it's great to be here i'm so excited you know i've i've got to come to this place today for the first time and it's honua honua studios honua studios i didn't even know this place existed here in kona yeah our biggest landmark is that we're between costco and the four seasons so yeah if you're, a, if you're from little... if you're from la everything is yeah, we're just down the road from the Four Seasons. If you're from Kona, it's like, we're below Costco. <laughs> right. It's it's a little hidden gem here that yeah. nobody would even know. And now you've been in the film industry for a long time now. Yeah, my whole adult life, I guess you could say. How old say. are you right now? I'm 45. 45. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, I've known you for quite a long time. It kind of started when I used to be back in the bulldozing days, and I came over to Build your property. Yeah. Up in Coloco. This you did beautiful, a great job. beautiful in the forest property. And we did this snaking driveway. And yeah, it came out really good. I drive yeah. by it every once in a while. And I'm just like, well, I did a good job there. You did a good job there. My wife and I always talk about that. So thank <laughs> you. Now, I want to give a little rundown to the audience out here uh, just a little bit about you. You were actually born in Switzerland. Um, you moved here when you were, what, three years old? Yeah. And so you've been raised here on the Big Island the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, you, um, your parents started uh, Youth with a Mission, University of the Nations. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a worldwide Christian university. I remember yeah. my little brother went to one of those in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, fastest way I explain it is it's a, it's a non-denominational Christian Peace Corps uh -huh. where you basically have training and then you go somewhere, usually in the developing world, and try to help others. So mm -hmm. I think there's been about 5 million participants uh, over the 50, 60 years it's been going. So my parents were starting the first campus in Switzerland huh. when I was born. That's why I was born there. And they're American. 
Uh-huh. Um, and then they came over here to Hawaii to start the next campus, uh, originally in Hilo, and then uh, over here, Kona side. So that was back in the 70s mm. when uh, the Big Island, as you know, was... Almost nothing. Was Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot here. But it was an awesome place, as you know, growing up here. And yeah. we now have four generations on island, so That's it's pr- home. That's pretty cool. Now, um, you have traveled all over the world yourself with University of the Nations, with your parents. Um, how many countries have you been to? Yeah, so I've hit 150 countries. Um, at first, it was with my folks. My dad would take me on adventures, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the road. Uh, he would be on the road maybe about nine months of the year. Mm-hmm. And about half that time, we would travel with them as a family. So during summers and breaks and so on. So even though we were growing up in Kona, uh, we were traveling from here around the world. And it wasn't like so much tourism traveling for the most part. Refugee camps across the Sahel with my dad as a Mm. teenager. Um, Some crazy stuff. And then when I went into film school, I started a little film company out of our dorm room closet and because I had known the world, um, I started making documentary films around the world. And basically, the way we started is we could do it cheaper than anybody else. Sure. And we were willing to stay in a hut and do whatever it takes. So we began building up a film library. And you went you know. to USC, right? Yeah. So I, I ended up at SC. I, I went to Konawana High School here back in the day. And um, as it was one, the only high school around. It was back the then. only high school around, and they still had. Kill Holly Day was was still May around. May first, yeah, which, I remember that one really well, man. <laughs> May first, and uh, so, but I I had an amazing experience. I had a lot of Native Hawaiian friends that took me in. And I always took hit care the Filipinos me. and the Japanese and everybody trying to kick my butt, not the Hawaiians, <laughs> you know. And it's like, well, you're not even the real Hawaiians, man. You can't try and kick my yeah, butt. Yeah, so you know what that was like, and but it was really healthy and. By the time I went to school, college in, in the mainland, I remember my first day sitting in the back. I'm like, wow, look at all the howlies here. Right. <laughs> I no longer felt special. But, uh, yeah, I fought my way into USC. I, I, I wasn't exactly academically driven in high school. I, I like to surf and I like to uh, – I worked at the local grocery store and I just, you know, it wasn't really – didn't have very good grades, so I had to really fight my way into USC. Yeah, the, all, it seems like all the top directors and stuff go to UFC film school. So yeah, it's got to be pretty tough to get in there. For yeah, starters, I kind of right? did a. I kind of got in the back door. So you you first have to get accepted into the overall university. Mm-hmm. It took me two or three times to do that, and then you then have to get into a particular major. I don't know what it's like now. I'm talking about back in the day. But the, what I ended up being able to do is, um, this was in the early 90s, was I was able to get into like a diversified program, which allowed me to kind of customize my own track. Mm-hmm. And so it was a combination of communications and cinema. So my emphasis was film history. So I did five semesters of cinema history, which was just awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, but we had these guest speakers there, that, you know, James Cameron, mm-hmm. um, Spielberg and Lucas spoke at my graduation. Wow. Uh, Dustin Hoffman came in for, like, you know, acting stuff. Well, everybody's uh, right there. Everyone's right there. It's got an amazing reputation. Mm-hmm. I remember the day I was walking around 
the campus and Forrest Gump was filming on one end of the campus. Spike Lee was was in the speaking in the film school. Walter Cronkite was speaking in the journalism school. And there was like a Honda commercial being shot on the other end of the <laughs> campus. And you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of everything here. Yeah. So I, I went there three and a half years and grad from there. And while we were doing that, um, some folks that were also had lived here on the Big Island, we formed a, a little company. And so by the time we grad, we had eight full-time people. And we were um, living and working on the beach there, Hermosa Beach. Yeah. And we took over this cool space above this funky old cinema right on the sand. It was the Bijou Cinema. Uh-huh. And um, and more or less, uh, we started attracting people that were from the islands, from Hawaii, that wanted to get into the entertainment space. And we blinked, and there was like... 30 of us hmm. um we play beach volleyball every sunday but you know it's like there's a real fraternity in hawaii if you're from here right create you have your little hooey yeah yeah exactly so um we began kind of growing and i went from a docs and adventure shows to music videos and commercials but really the goal being i wanted to be a i wanted to make feature films i wanted to do narrative storytelling that was my passion and I also wanted to do stories about that I cared about and, and from this place, from mm-hmm. Hawaii, because it's such a special place. So even though the business was doing well and we looked really good, we were all under 25, traveling under the world and cool space on the beach in L.A., I was like, this is this is not what I've been built for. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm supposed to be telling stories, you know, right. and, and uh, from that, not just telling other people's stories. So kind of had to start over again, and it kind of had that um, that Jerry Maguire moment, you know, where he stood up and he's like, "Hey, who's with me?" <laughs> you know, right. and only one person raises her hand. Exactly, Renee Zellweger. So the Renee Zellweger in my life was my wife. We just met. Excuse me, just married, only about six months, and. We're I got like, your back, baby. Yeah, she got and my she's back. She's such a sweetheart. She still has your back to yeah, this day. Yeah, she sure does. How many kids later? Three kids, all Jeez. born and raised here in Kona. Yeah, and uh, you know they're they're proud to be from the Big Island. So yeah, so we started over again, and more or less, I uh, we rented out our apartment mm-hmm. and slept on our friend's floor. My wife went to work at Tequila Willie's restaurant, and. Somehow, I think because I went to SC, American Express gave me some American Express cards, and nice. I don't, I don't recommend this to film students out there. But <laughs> five uh, American Express cards later, and about a year, I, I basically just traveled the world pitching people to try to fund my first movie. Right. To anybody that would give me an introduction. What I, was your first movie? It was called Beyond Paradise. Um, it was about a Howley boy in his last semester of high school on the Big Island uh-huh. with his three Hawaiian friends. And it's it's not necessarily a true story, but it was inspired by a lot of stuff. And I, I wanted the world to know what it was like for a Howley person, a Caucasian, a white person to be like a minority. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost a story about you. Yeah. So there's there's some some inspiration there. Hopefully I wasn't as as much of a loser as the character was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I'm, think so. I'm, I'm looking around, no. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, it was that was my film school because it just kicked my butt, man. It was a three years of just pain and everything that could go wrong went wrong. And even though I had this degree and I'd shot around the world, um, it, you really aren't a movie maker until you've made a movie. Uh -huh. You just got to go through the fire. And um, I had to learn the whole thing, fundraising, developing the script, shooting it, and then how to distribute it. Mm -hmm. And even though we did well in festivals, I just couldn't get the break for a, a significant distribution deal. So the guy that was running with me at the time, Jeff the Dude Dowd, the dude. he uh, sold the Coen Brothers' first movie, and he's kind of a legend still today in terms of selling indie filmmakers mm -hmm. their, their movies. So he kind of took me under his wing. And more or less, he said, well, David, your film played super well at the Hawaii International Film Festival. We sold out multiple screenings. We broke their attendance records. Wow. And we had like 1,100 people show up for a first screening because there, there really hadn't been movies uh, uh, that starred people from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. They were like the waiters and stuff in other movies, you know. Sure. So. Little pro surfer jump in as a waiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But this one was starring people from here. And, um, and, and so local teenagers in particular just poured into any screening we had. So we made a deal with the cinemas throughout the state, and they said, if you cut a killer trailer, we'll put it up on the, the Star Wars of that of that day. I can't remember which Star Wars it was at the time. but So we did posters and trailers, and we got on MTV and all this stuff. And for Hawaii and the Pacific, it felt like a wide release because we were everywhere. Sure. And we opened really strong. And we, we held Matrix for a couple months, and it just kept playing and playing and playing. Wow. And um, it, it, that allowed us to get on the map with yeah, another big distributor. exposure. And, yeah. Yeah. And we finally were able to cut a, a, another deal. So it was like that, where we had to be filmmaker, creative guy, business dude, entrepreneur, marketing guy. But All we, in one. Yeah, the we were whole, out there yeah. handing out flyers at All Moana Park and, you know, just pushing it so that was my fire and after that i hadn't really realized you know that was kind of ninja school as well because you had to become good at everything mm -hmm. or at least if not good just at least know it and i was contacted by a friend of mine through actually you know my cousin winton nicholson winton was the one that actually put us together yeah yeah. So Winton's such a nice guy. Yeah, he is, and he's he's also an he he's an actor he's as well. He's an actor. And one of your movies. Yeah, he's in two two of them. Two of them. Yeah. I, I remember him in To End All Wars. Yep. So that's what this with one Kiefer was. Sutherland. Yep. So that's what this one was. He so he actually said, David, I heard <clears> about this guy who who's had this book, and and he told me the story. World War Two POW movie, crazy. True story. True wasn't story. It? And um, about these Scottish soldiers and American soldiers that survived in Thailand during World War II. And they did so by creating an orchestra and a school and all this stuff in spite of being tortured. And mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I, I went and put us together and the, my, my producing partner became my producing partner on that project, Jack. Jack Hafer, he said, David, I heard you pulled this little movie off doing everything yourself, you know, raising the money and et cetera, et cetera. 
And I said, yeah, kind of sucks. It's hard work. It's really hard. But I'll, I'll do this with you, but under three conditions. One is it's got to be made in my home state of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh, two is we got to do it independently because I still don't know anybody in the studio world. Um, I can tell you where to rent cameras and stuff, but I don't know yeah, exactly what, what kind of budget did you have? The first one was about seven hundred and fifty thousand uh-huh. dollars, which sounds like a lot today. But you got to remember back then, which was ninety seven, ninety eight, everything was still celluloid. Right, uh, we hadn't made the digital revolution yet, um, and. In Hawaii, in particular, there there really wasn't any precedent for for uh, indie filmmaking. Uh-huh. So Waterworld was the film that was shot here before me, mm-hmm. which at the time was the most expensive movie in history. Sure. So here I come with a little movie, going, "Hey guys, we can do an indie film," and the unions didn't believe me, and the vendors didn't believe me. They thought, you know, he's 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 stashing some money away. <laughs> I don't have any money, man. Yeah. It took me a year to raise this, so. This next movie ended up being uh, bigger, ended up being closer to $10 million. And it just, it, in about half the amount of time, we wa- raised 10 times the amount. And some of my biggest investors kicked in for my first film. And we happened to score Kiefer Sutherland, Mark Strong, Robert Carlyle, three Kurosawa actors who were just amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it was tough. All filmmaking is tough. But it was a different kind of tough. It was like, okay, now I kind of know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to do that, that, and that. And it it came together, and um, more or less what ended up happening was we uh, premiered it at Telluride Film Festival, and it was one of those bizarre experiences. Kiefer's 24 had just hit in mm. a big way. So we were able to score Kiefer just Right before. after Young Guns. Well, right later past Young Guns, but just before. So he had had a gap of time uh-huh. that he hadn't been as active, and that's when we were able to grab him. And then when we were in post-production, 24 became huge. Does he always really talk soft in everything? Because in 24, a, a little bit. Soft. He kind of has a voice like yours. You know, He's got that yeah. raspy, deep voice and stuff. And I think you actually hear him do quite a bit of voiceover work. But yeah, so we we shot that on Kauai, mm-hmm. and um, and it ended up premiering at Telluride Film Festival, and it was one of those bizarre scenarios where it was an outdoor screening, and we had flown Kiefer in with our last pennies, and we were just like, okay, we're just gonna you know hope that we get well received here, but it started drizzling rain, and. There was a bar down the street that was cranking the music, and the guy, the projectionist, wasn't in focus. And I was just a mess, and I had to like get up. And I was like, told my wife, I was like, I, I gotta, I just gotta walk out of here. I gotta walk around while the, while this movie's going on. I'm terrible in my own movies. I we now have like a routine where I introduce the film, I go mm. have dinner with my wife, and I come back afterwards because. <laughs> People cough, and I'm like, oh, they hate it. You know, right, you're right. all insecure years of your life there. Um, I know it's tough for me even doing a podcast because I listen to myself. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I sound like a retard. <laughs> but everybody yeah. else is like, dude, your voice is like the best. Yeah. You have this buttery voice. And I'm like, yeah, I sound like, you know. Exactly, exactly. So 
we left that that film festival and it was an amazing experience because they flew us in with all these movie stars and all mm -hmm. that. But I was just like, oh, what now? Is this going to be like Beyond Paradise where I got to go hand out flyers and hustle? And all right. That? And I got a call and it was William Morris agent. And he said, David, um, I just got a phone call from Kathy Kennedy, who's one of Spielberg's producers. And she's now running Lucas Films and Mary Parent, who was the president of Universal. They were at the screening and Kathleen has already called Spielberg and said it's the best movie here and nice. they want to meet. And then it ushered in this kind of surreal season of getting to know the studio executives. How excited meeting. were you? When you got that call, I was I was super stoked and encouraged because there had been so much risk and, and and sacrifice getting there. And the biggest thing that I was stoked about was like, oh, I don't have to raise money, right. you know, because I don't just have to sucks. hand out posters. It's yeah, all like, coming so, together. Yeah, I can actually be a filmmaker and spend my time making films. So. That put me on a whole nother crazy journey working for the studios. But to put a button on it, you know, when I, I, I speak sometimes in film schools and I try to give an analogy for with indie filmmaking versus studio filmmaking. So indie filmmaking is sort of like you have your own beat up jalopy car. Uh -huh. It's kind of embarrassing. It smokes in the back and, you know, if it breaks down, it's on you. Um, but you're driving it yeah. and you, you get to you decide where it goes. When you're working for the studios, it's like a Ferrari pulls up, they throw you the keys, you hop in and you're all stoked and you turn around, there's 20 people in the back seat telling you how to drive. Mm. And you, even though you know this thing's got the horsepower, you can never kick it in because people are telling you left, right, you know, yeah. grind those gears. So that's, it's, it's a whole nother thing. So when I started doing the studio thing, I was a director for hire, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I had to learn a whole nother skill set of how to navigate a very complex world. And so I went from doing these little indie films to I did two $45 million movies and $15 million movie. And so just at another scale. Mm -hmm. Now, um, one of the things that confuses me is... You is producer, director, you know, how that all works. Um, is a producer brought in by the investors that kind of produces that, there's, or is it, um, there's no is it something that works together? The reason why it's confusing is because there's no one way to do it. The definition of a director is you're basically the head of all creative. Mm -hmm. So you're making the decisions of, of everything that's related to the creative. All the creative departments report to you. Mm -hmm. Makeup and camera, you know. Backdrop, uh, everything. All that stuff. And cast, of course, working with the actors. A producer is one that's in charge of the production. Okay. So they're one part business person. Where they're they ha they are accountable to the investors for budget, mm -hmm. but they need to know creative enough so that they can bridge to the director. Okay. So what I was doing as an indie guy, I was both producing and directing, and in some cases writing. So I would more or less go hustle as a producer, uh -huh. and then turn around and hire myself as the director, so mm -hmm. I could do what I really was passionate about, mm -hmm. which was the creative side of things. 
But when I was working for the studios, I was just a director. So they would hire me just as the creative guy. So you would sit there and go, okay, guys, ready? Take one. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, all Let's that go. stuff. No, I don't like this. Yeah. You know, go stand this way, face that way, give me this look. You're designing that whole thing that we're yeah. going to see. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of moving parts. It's very intense, a lot of pressure. Um, big Bigger studio movies in, fa- in, in particular, there's so much uh, at stake. Uh-huh. So I've had days where I spent a million dollars in a day and I knew I couldn't get it back. Wow. And because you're blowing stuff up and yeah. you know, all of that, and you're just like going, you know. On, was this a good million dollar yeah, day or was this a bad million dollar on, day? On Path to 9 11, this miniseries I directed. Yeah, that, that was huge, dude. That was a big one. It was the, I think, the, the first movie slash uh, miniseries documentary on 9 11. Yeah, it wasn't a documentary, it was an actual series, a narrative mm. series. And it was it was initially going to be a six hours. It ended up being about five twenty five thirty. How did you get on that? ABC. Um, I had directed for ABC uh, uh, another miniseries based on the books um, of Little House on the Prairie. Right. And we kind of did a family western version of that uh-huh. for Wonderful World of Disney. That was like a fifteen million dollar miniseries. And I came in on budget, on schedule, and it was well reviewed and. And I was one of many that they were looking at, and in part because I was so well-traveled and spent a fair amount of time in the Middle East and all of that. Um, it was the same producer, and they they offered it to me, and um, which was a huge privilege. Well, that's got to be tough because you're literally a world away from New York City, living in Hawaii. Yeah. And then having to go over there and do a miniseries on... Something that's changed the face of uh, yeah. our world. Well, it was based upon the 9/11 Commission reports, and um, it was, which was a nonpartisan book. Uh-huh. Um, and the goal of ABC and the executives that were were about it was they wanted the world to know what happened leading up to 9/11, so that we could learn from it. Mm-hmm. And because there was a report card given even five years after 9-11, and we had still failed in most of these categories. There had been improvements at TSA and so on. So it was all the intentions were honorable. And um, But what ended up happening is, but first answering, I guess, the geographic question you're you're referring to is um, we were shooting out of Toronto, New York, London. We were one of the first projects to be able to film at CIA Langley, the actual spot. Right. Um, and then Morocco. Uh, so we were on the road a lot. So as a family, there was a period of time where I was mostly in Eastern Europe, Canada, or L.A. Yeah. And I was always f- trying to fight my way home. Which yeah, is I, re- I remember when you were gone filming that. Yeah. yeah. You, you had a lot of controversy with that movie. Um, the Clintons yeah. jumped in, and it, it was... Some some tough stuff going on. Yeah, there. The, you know it, and it totally sideswiped me and the other filmmakers and and executives because there was no intention to be political. Right. Um, we tried to treat each administration, you know, whether it was Bush administration or Clinton administration, um, you know, without bias, uh-huh. and. 
we based it on the 9-11 Commission report. So what ended up happening was um, the film, when it went, some of these bigger projects, this one was starring Harvey Keitel and this huge cast. Like right, I remember I watched actors. it. I was so proud of you. I was yeah, like, thanks. yeah, it's on. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, and that was like a brain buster, man, because we were basically juggling three movies shooting at the same time because mm-hmm. and, and, it's a series, you know. And um, it was floating around L.A. before it's aired. They call it like the Bel Air Circuit, which basically means executive and producers get a sneak peek at a film that's that's got some buzz. Mm-hmm. So it was getting tons of awesome buzz. Like I was getting offers and everyone was like, yeah, David, we can't believe you pulled this off. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was cool. But then it was showed at the National Press Club in D.C., and they only showed one night because it's a long miniseries. Sure. So they showed the first part, which is on the Clinton administration. The second one's on the Bush administration. And the approach was not wagging a finger at any one president. The whole point of the movie was to show the bureaucracy of D.C. and how dysfunctional it is and mm-hmm. was and how – CIA and FBI don't talk and mm-hmm. all of that and and to show wow the these terrorists just walk straight through all of our safeguards because of politics frankly mm-hmm. and the part that uh, was made a big deal was that uh, we showed there was an opportunity to take out Bin Laden and because of the Lewinsky scandal everyone was paralyzed in indecisiveness because there was just so much stuff going on, all this inner fighting, you know? Uh-huh. And so Bin Laden got away. You, you figured, the, you know, Bill Clinton's getting busted for having an affair with Monica Lewinsky. He would want to jump out there and try and get Bin Laden right off the bat to change the headlines, right? Yeah, and, I, and we didn't even approach it that way it was more or less the whole the whole leadership was so kind of frozen having to fight the Uh, republican party because of the whole scandal and um impeachment process and all of that so um we tried to show it as per the book mm -hmm. and and we didn't even pick the most intense one i i probably can't say on air some of the stuff that we learned but our advisors on the set with me were the fbi guys that were on the ground chasing bin laden wow Um, my advisors were the guys that held the football with clinton's administration Uh the guys with the um you know the command control thing to the the satellites the sure. you know um our advisors were uh secret service that were there um fbi that mm-hmm. were in the mix so they were with me on the set and we were working really hard to be as accurate as possible sure so all that's to say is when clinton's people saw that first night they thought i guess that this was an effort to try to undermine Hillary's run. Right. And they came after us with a vengeance. And yeah. they had a whole blogging campaign. Um, and they really came after two categories that they felt we were vulnerable in as a, as a film. you got to remember, man, this, 
It's a $45 million or something around there miniseries mm-hmm. backed by ABC, owned by Disney, one mm-hmm. of the biggest inter- com- entertainment companies in the world, probably is, with most of the executives being pro-Clinton. Mm-hmm. And so there was no, like, intention. I'm an And indip- here we are again. Yeah. Hillary running for president. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm an independent. I'm not a political guy. I, I went home to Hawaii and was surfing and hanging out and having finished this film and place where we surf down in yeah. pine trees and yeah. i i got a call and the producer said david you better hang on we think clinton's people are coming after you i was like what 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 do you, what do you mean it was huh. just so out there and they said well we think it's because of your their their your parents and the, the organization your parents started and I was like, I didn't even compute. And I was like, I'm not. You, you guys, you're out there. There's no way. What does what does a Christian organization have to do with this and all? That? But sure enough, there was a whole blogging campaign that was started. Well, that, the Christians usually back the Republicans. Yeah. So that was their. They so. said. So they said, my parents' organization, which is a nonprofit made up of volunteers, some of the most broke people you'll ever meet. I mean, they're amazing people. Yeah. But in terms of, of everybody who's in the organization, they, they do not make money. Um, so they said that Youth with Mission, YOM, funded Path to 9-11 to huh. try to keep Hillary from getting president. And David Cunningham, the director, his father is the founder, and that's the conspiracy theory. And then they found, I have an internship program called the Film Institute, and they found online a reference to the Film Institute. I've helped a couple hundred people that have been trained here in Hawaii get into the business through internships and mentorships and all mm-hmm. that. So they said that's the that's this hidden group that is out to try to stop the Clintons and so on. It was just wow. full-on BS. There wasn't a, a shred of truth in any of it, and it hit the mainstream press. It went from the blogging world, and next thing you know, Wolf Blitzer's calling me and MSNBC, and they're all like, we want you on the show. Is it true, your dad? And it got compounding, and ah. and it got bizarre. You didn't have any Republicans on the other side just going, hey, backing it? Oh, yeah. Then, of course, the it got into... So you got the Christians uh, on one side, you got the atheists and the Antichrist on the other. Well, I, I wouldn't even <laughs> qualify it as, as that. It was just this big kind of... Uh, it, it, it ended up becoming part of, I guess, what you call the culture wars. Right. And it was, I'm independent, by the way, yeah, too. Yeah, you know, so it's so. like <laughs> I got friends on both sides. And, 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 and so that's what was throwing me so much was like, hey, man, did you see how we represented... The Bush administration, we were just as honest mm-hmm. with the mistakes that were made there. But it turned into this big thing. And then before you know it, um, ABC is getting threatened to get their FCC license pulled. Reed and all these senators that are wow. Clinton supporters are going on television. Hey, I hadn't seen the film. Yeah. But they said, we haven't seen this movie yet, but we understand that it is, you know, undermining the you know Clinton administration and it's not true it's not accurate and all that and they pounded me and my family and they pounded the writer producer Cyrus Narasta that's crazy and because Cyrus was openly politically conservative and he had been on some conservative talk shows and they're like look this guy's conservative 
and he's got an agenda and him and Cunningham wearing cahoots. Yeah. We were hired independently of each other. We didn't even know each other. Wow. So anyways, there's a, a documentary that's been made about what happened. It's called The Anatomy of a Smear Campaign and the blocking of path to 9-11. And I didn't make the documentary, but I'm in it. Uh-huh. And it did have political agendas to it, but it is true, uh, everything that happened in that. Now, so. did you you get to sit down and talk to a lot of people that were there that witnessed the 9-11 tragedy? Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, as, as the years have progressed, you know, we're a conspiracy country. You know, there's always some kind of the government's involved in this, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Did you get to hear anything like that? Because I one of the ones I heard now... Um, it was, I just heard it a couple of weeks ago on one of these blogs and it was about nobody actually saw, uh, a painted jetliner. They saw dark military looking planes hit the, it's just so many different conspiracies. So, yeah, I heard a lot of them. I don't know if I heard them all, but I heard a lot of them. I spent a year and a half of my life on that project and I think that. And, and we had tremendous support from many of the, the survivors mm-hmm. and the family survivors, by the way. So when this all got controversial, because what they were trying to do was keep the film from being aired. Right. And then then instead of it being aired, it did air, but um, there was a, a portion that was censored. Huh. And then we had all these disclaimers on the front end. I, I the, the heads of the studio came into the edit room and, and made us made my editors change it out of pressure, political pressure. Right. I remember how and stressed out you were. Yeah, man. Right before it filmed and just Before everything. it aired, yeah. yeah. Uh, we didn't before know if it, it was going to air. It's like, we've just poured our lives into this. I went from being... And then you got screwed in the end, too, where yeah. um, it got yanked. I know Steven Spielberg jumped in and said, it's a shame, you can't do this. Well, it was, wasn't Spielberg, it but it was... out it, on DVD. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was Spielberg, but it was... There were some significant guys like Oliver Stone jumped Oliver in. Oliver Stone, that's right. And others were saying, hey, what about free speech? And um, Oliver Stone had come was making, at the, at the same time, World Trade Center, uh-huh. his movie. And when he saw our film, he was friends with the writer. Mm. He was giving us a lot of attaboys, and I'm I'm a, a fan of his, his sure, filmmaking. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. So we went from being like these rock stars in Hollywood with that have made this film for the right purposes, to then being kind of politically painted. Mm-hmm. And did it hurt you for a while? Yeah, it it didn't help in certain circles, and other circles they're like you know. Another scar. Good job, right. Cunningham. He survived. You know. How how were so, you able to rebuild yourself out of that? Well, um, I, I did a movie immediate, almost immediately afterwards uh-huh. uh, called The Seeker for 20th Century Fox, and it was just a adventure movie, and we shot it in Romania and stuff. So mm. I had enough uh, I had enough traction and momentum that it didn't it didn't stop stop us. It was just a huge lesson in my life of yeah. going you know you think of america was free speech and all of that and and knowing everybody's honorable intentions and then this happening mm-hmm. and then seeing so many powerful people jump on board to come it's against unimaginable. you unimaginable and and what was what was Especially the hardest coming from a little big island boy oh yeah and what was hard was when they started telling lies about my folks and uh. and 
people in in the organization that were losing financial support because people were believing the lies. So you had orphanages being affected on the other side of the world because of the blogging machine um, that was saying all these lies. So mm. it did air. Thank God um, it aired censored. Uh, something like 23 million Americans saw it over the two nights, and we won an at primetime Emmy. And um, so we, it, it got out there. But the tragedy is there's no DVD or online representation. So Disney decided that they did not want to release it um, after, the, after it was aired. Mm-hmm. So to this day, you can't watch it in the U.S. I, wow. I think you can watch it. Not in, even on YouTube or anything? I think somebody's done some black market at pieces. It wasn't me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that you can kind of see the film in bad quality in small That's pieces. sad. But, yeah, it really is sad, and it actually affected even my my own family because we don't get residuals and stuff from from that. Yeah. So There's a I, lot of work you guys put into that. A lot of work. And but it just goes to show you the you know, the political machine and certain brands, in this case being the Clinton machine, how powerful it is mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's it's it can get rough. Real I, rough. And we're <laughs> we're coming into that again and do Oh man. Man, is that what we honestly want in this no. country? I don't know. I was wondering if our native Hawaiian friends might let you and me into the uh, sovereignty movement and we can just do the Kingdom of Hawaii thing <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and just avoid all of this. <laughs> I don't know if they would, but well, anyway, you know, our, like our country's so definitely a, a reality T V show at this point, oh. you know. And yeah. it's it's pretty crazy it itself. Is crazy. And, it's crazy. But, you know, um, so after you finished 9-11, you started working on this next movie, or it, it just came out right after. Yeah, so and that was about a year-long process. Uh, the Seeker. The Seeker, Fox Walden. Um, we shot it in Romania, uh-huh. and it was a big film. We had about 900 people on the set my first day of, of directing. That's team, a lot. Uh, between extras and and crew and and we were one of the biggest movies to hit that country at that time so we were really stretching the infrastructure uh-huh. eastern europe can't can can be tough place to film in uh, you know amazing people but they were still coming out especially then of of you know a lot of oppression and so mm-hmm. on so it was a tough shoot but we got it in on budget and on schedule Gotta be and, um, just some amazing places to film over there. Yeah, I know we were talking earlier about Game of Thrones. Yes, and you know that that's set in so many different countries, so many different stories that all intertwine with each other. Yep, and you know they're they're in Croatia, they're in just. I think Ireland. Yeah, and no, it's amazing. Dark world. places, and we shot in uh, Transylvania. We built. We were doubling England in Romania, so we built a, a an English village in the in the mountains of Transylvania. Wow! And we had to bring in like a double decker bus from England, and you know, change all the signs and all of that. And now, where is Transylvania? Um, it's it's a I want uh, two or three hours outside of the main city there. Yeah, yeah. Does it really like have a haunted, dark past to it? 
Um, I think it goes back to, you know, the Dracula thing, if I remember my history right. was this is Dracula and Frankenstein and werewolves, yeah. the whole everything came out of there. If I remember right, the true story of Dracula was he was a kind of a, a tyrant leader who used violence to, to basically scare off his enemy. Huh. And he would, I think what they would do is put their heads on pikes and... And I think he started rumors that he was drinking the blood of his enemy, and it was oh. all—it was all a big campaign, right? And if I'm remembering my history right, so but the kind places of sounds like our presidential candidates, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the uh, locations were amazing, like the castles and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's 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 amazing countryside. Sigishwaya, I think, was the name of the town that we filmed in. Yeah. Um, well, one of the questions I always ask people, you know, um, I come from a Christian background, but, you know, we have something that's here in Hawaii that's super, super strong, and it's a mana. You know, it's a whole energy, and, and I love to ask people um, if they've ever experienced anything, you know, supernatural, maybe aliens or some weird stuff, because I've experienced some pretty cool, I don't know if it's pretty cool, but some pretty weird stuff myself. I don't know why, but it just kind of happens. Maybe you've got a story of something. Hmm. That's an interesting question. That's a fascinating question. Um, yeah, I, I certainly believe uh, very much so in a spiritual world and that there's there's stuff um, dark and good. Yeah. And uh, I'm a person of faith. And so uh, let me think. I, I'll have to think about that. Maybe we can come back yeah, to Yeah, we can definitely come back to it. But that. It's something well, that well, leave it in your head. That. At least... When we come back at the end of the of yeah. the show, yeah, you can give okay. us something there. Let me try to think of that one. Um, now, what are some of the other cool places that you've been to filming and experiences? Well, sure, uh, something that comes to mind. I I shot a bunch of docs and stuff around the world. I think I've filmed in about fifty countries now, and um, we were filming in the deserts of Egypt, uh-huh. and um, I was with a small crew. And we did a seven-hour drive uh, from Cairo to Mount Sinai, Mm -hmm. where Moses, uh, with the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. So it's so hot out there, you actually ascend the mountain during the the night. And um, that's what they recommend. So we we basically waited until... You're talking about 120-degree temperatures? I don't know, something crazy. It was summertime in in the deserts of Egypt, so it was freaking hot. So um, we had two camels that uh, our crew had, um, Moses and Abdul, I think were the names of the camels. (laughs) And we strapped our gear... And we made our way up by moonlight to to the top of Mount uh, the Mount Sinai, and it was classic because you come around a corner and there would be a an Arab guy selling hot chocolate or tea or whatever you know, and and you're in the middle of the desert and and it's like these little convenience store on the way up. So we get up to the top and we wait for the sunrise. We set up our cameras, mm. and there was a Coptic priest who had hiked all the way up there. And in his robes and his long beard, you know, I was striking that look as so I talked him into looking like Moses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I talked him into standing on the cliff and filmed him as the sunrise was coming up and it was amazing. So we head back down the mountain after that. We're all stoked. Yeah, we got it, but we're exhausted. How high is that mountain? I can't remember. I can't remember. 
but was it was it similar to like Walleye or something like that. Not even that that high. Okay. Not even that high. Um, but amazing view. You yeah. know, it was like seeing around the desert. So sure. we come down to the van. We load up in the van, and we had shared because we were like the low budget documentary crew. We had shared the van with a, a group of of Korean tourists that were there, <laughs> and we crash in the back of the van. We're just so tired. Head out. Wake up to the shattering glass, screeching tires, screams, and this glass and all this green stuff over us. And we're like, what happened? You know? And the driver on the passenger side up front, he, he had gone through the windshield in part. Oh. One of the Korean tourists was so freaked out, was vomiting. It was like this intense scene, you know? And me and the guys, our crew, were, had been asleep. So we were right. just like coming to, like, what What's happened? going on? So we look up out, out front, and there's a camel twitching out there. Oh. And it was like in its final throes, and all the villagers were coming, and they were pissed off, you know, that the camel got killed. And, right. And the side window was smashed open, and we're like, what happened? So we pieced it together. Evidently, the camel had darted in front of our van. We hit its head. Its rear end flew through the side around the corner. Around the car, swung it back. Swung back, smashed the glass, and it crapped all over us before it died. Oh my God. So that's what and all And then that... you have all these Koreans with barf everywhere <laughs> yeah. as well, too. <laughs> so we're, we're like, oh, so first we had to talk our way out of the villagers because they were so upset, you know, that we'd killed a camel. It's a big deal. Yeah. And it was. Was a, it at night? No, it was, it was during, during the day. The day. So we had to go to the police station and all that. Once we got through that, then we had to drive seven hours through the desert. Still smelling like crap. Still smelling like crap. No windshield. <laughs> and we had to use our water in the radiator because the thing was overheating. And whoever was packed the lunch that day, it was probably me, well, it was cheese and crackers. And we all the crackers were way gone. So all I remember is the desert wind. Camel crap all over us, eating those little laughing cow <laughs> cheeses, just totally miserable for seven hours. The only person laughing was that cow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we have lots of adventures like that, but that was one of those stories that stuck in my mind, you know, crazy adventure time. That's pretty cool. Have you ever done anything in, like, South America? Because you've been all over Africa. Yeah. I did a project. Middle East, yep. Europe. I did a project in the Amazon, uh -huh. um, in which we worked with eight different tribes down there, mm. and it was a piece on um, some of the indigenous rights of some of the Amazon people, in particular kids and so on, and uh, that was just a, a massive privilege. So we were down in the Amazon for, I guess, three and a half weeks, wow. and that was a trip because we were filming people in some cases that had never even seen a camera before huh. and you're trying to work with them you know or and, a holly guy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that was that was a real privilege to be out there amazing no, they're, people they're going through some massive deforestation down there yeah no um, you see when you're in the plane we were in a small plane we, we flew at one point to a tribe two and a half hours into the amazon right and what you'll you'll see the the big scars of the farms just kind of slowly moving in, right. you know. It, it's so. pretty brutal down there, too, where if you're, you give them any kind of 
being against it, they just kill you. And they just go in there and then they wipe out the whole force. They don't replant it. Yeah, man. I, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. And the pro- project I was a part of was trying to put a, a, a spotlight on some of that corruption yeah. and stuff that was going on. But, yeah, so Amazon, Brazil, amazing place. And I've, I've shot a few other places, Chile and some other places. But South America's amazing. Spot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, you've, uh, you know, grown up here in Hawaii. You know, it's 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 a whole nother world out there for most people. And, yeah. Uh, you have created this killer career, this huge film career. Um, what were your goals when you first started, and um, how have they changed to what they are today? Yeah, I don't know about the killer career, but been fighting to try to basically do what I want to do, where I want to do it, with the people that I want to do it. Uh-huh. With you know and. And, you know, the studio thing, um, it's a whole nother animal like I was referring to before. before. And I, I really was wanting to fight my way back home. And, you know, I just kept getting called to other places, cold, mm-hmm. dark places like Canada and <laughs> Transylvania, Eastern <laughs> Europe. And I kept trying to get projects to come this way. And I realized that that was going to be difficult to do. And I needed to come home and help build infrastructure Mm -hmm. so that then it would make sense for films to be made here. Because everyone's chasing the dollar, you know, where's the incentive and all that. And people love Hawaii, of course. But mostly they think of Hawaii as as jungles and beaches. Or cities, Honolulu. Yeah. Yeah. But... uh, for the most part, people will film where it's the cheapest and all the rest. So I came back and started building infrastructure. And I guess the the best way I can give the analogy is, is instead of trying to build one Uber company, a big, a large company, we were building speedboats. Uh-huh. And those speedboats could then function as their own company or together um, – do something bigger. Mm-hmm. So we're right now in, in Dave Getter's studio here at, at Hanua Studios. Yes. Dave Getter is a sound designer and a composer. And um, the name of his company is called 2020 Sound. Mm-hmm. And as you can see, we're in some pretty killer digs here. This is this is as good as something you would see in L.A. Yeah. No, he, he built this thing, um, you know, to, to world-class standards. And um, he's one of these companies that we got behind and we're helping him as a speedboat. So he's mm-hmm. got his own business and then we also do projects together. Um, so we have a number of companies that we've done that with. And because you have something called the accelerator going on. Yeah. So that's another another thing we're doing. So we're helping incubate companies like like Dave's 2020 sound. But we're also um, accelerating content. Mm-hmm. And the idea is. Essentially, having done it for a couple decades, it can be a very expensive process and a messy process getting a film or a show, something, any kind of content to the final stages. Excuse me. Often what happens is um, various deals are made and things get very complicated. And by the time it, it gets to the starting blocks, there's a lot of baggage involved. Mm-hmm. And that might be you owe a lot of people money, you know, all of that. So typically the studios are the only ones 
that can afford a kind of a high level of development. Mm -hmm. So that means getting the script to be great, you know, getting the proof of concepts done, budgets and schedules properly done and so on. Um, and the indie guys are often scrapping it out, you know. Right. <clears throat> and you guys so, have your, you have, you have connections with super, say, high-level writers, established yeah. writers that can come in, look at somebody's script, yeah. kind of change it up for them, give yeah, them some script pointers, stuff. stuff like that. Yeah, so essentially what, what I did was I took a page out of the high-tech startup model called uh -huh. Accelerators, which have been going on for quite a while, and... Um, there's, you know, Dropbox and Reddit and those others that have come out of accelerators. And, mm -hmm. and more or less what they did and have done uh, and continue to do is you identify companies, teams, properties, whatever you want to call it. You invest some money into them. And then you surround them with coaches and mentors in a concentrated period of time, in our case, six months. And then if they graduate, you have like another opportunity for them of additional financing should they be able to get a matching financing in the private sector. So we applied this to creative content for Hawaii-based uh, content creators. Hmm. So we're about 12 deep of various properties, everything from um, graphic novels to movies to TV series. And uh, the deal is that at least 50% of it has to be produced in the islands. So our partners are the County of Hawaii, um, the state of Hawaii through Hawaii Growth Initiative and Hawaii Strategic Development Corps. And we're a part of what's called Startup Paradise, which uh -huh. is a half a dozen or so um, accelerators throughout the state mm -hmm. and various initiatives helping entrepreneurs. And nice. yeah, most people don't know, but Hawaii is the most sleep deprived, sleep deprived, get, get <laughs> it out there. Maybe I have a little of that. It, uh, state in the union because the average person is working 2.4 jobs huh. and we have some of the highest cost of living uh -huh. and if you're outside of the the three-legged stool of tourism real estate and military um, it's a huge gap yeah and so what we're trying to do is instead of waiting for the phone to ring for films to come here and for me, having the uphill battle of, of trying to, you know, compete with Eastern Europe and Canada in terms of their rates and incentives, we're creating content that is specifically to be made out of these islands. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're doing through the Accelerator program. And, and Hawaii's got great rates as it is, right? Yeah, and that's another thing. That, that's why there's so many films coming here to, yep. to Hawaii these days. Godzilla, King Kongs. Jurassic yep. Parks, Battleships, you name it. Yep. We have a 25% rebate, including above the line, which means the people that are in the the actors and directors and so on um, can get a 25% rebate on this island, Hawaii uh -huh. Island, and on Oahu it's 20%, which is a very generous, um, smart incentive. And um, Now, are they doing so that just to try and break it out into the outer islands? Um, well, because, as you know, the neighbor islands or uh, the outer islands, however you want to call it, Oahu has represented typically over 90% of filmmaking in the sure. state. And that's where the city is. That's where infrastructure is. Where we're sitting here in Kona on, on Hawaii Island or the big island, 
we have 11 of the 13 climate zones on this mm-hmm. island. We're twice as big as all the islands put together. I really believe we should be positioning ourselves like a, a New Zealand, mm-hmm. you know, like a Wellington has done, and not look at models from the mainland, but look at models like that, or even Iceland, mm-hmm. and that has all this diverse landscape. And so we're swinging for the fences here. You know, we have this studio with, we're in here. It's, a, I guess, 14,000 square feet now. We have a green screen stage here. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. It's one I of walked the biggest back there and checked that out. I was yeah. pretty amazed. Yeah, and we have screening room. You guys can make uh, it look like I'm in New Zealand doing a podcast. Yeah. Sitting on top of a you mountain. You don't have to leave, man. Yeah. And we're 1.1 miles from our favorite surf break. Exactly. Pine trees. Yeah. So... Yeah, so we got this infrastructure now, and and thanks to a partnership between our friends in government and Uh a a group of private investors that have pulled to the table. Um, And we, our goal is to be a content machine cranking out films and projects that um, are of this place, about this place, that are for this place. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're doing that however we can, through the accelerator, through the studio. And you guys can connect with other studios that want to come. Yeah, that's stuff. another that's another initiative we're doing in partnership with our friends in government. Because um, I think you guys are linked right now with 400, 450 other studios. Yep. We now have private fiber coming right to the studio where we're here. What well. is private fiber? So private fiber basically means you're not competing with everybody else in your area. So my kids, if two or three of them are watching Netflix at the same time, uh-huh. I'm sitting there in my chair and I get extremely bummed out when I can't watch my show because they're sucking all the bandwidth. Right. I'm like, come on, kids, I'm paying for this. Thing. Right. So I, that's what often happens is when there's peak traffic and a lot of people are all watching Netflix at the same time, it affects everything, including uh-huh. your internet and so on. So we are partners with, under the, under the name of GVS Connect, we're partners with a British company called SohoNet. Mm-hmm. And what SohoNet has done is they've created a network um, to about 450 studios point to point, meaning Dave Gutter with 2020 Sound can work directly with a studio in New York or L.A., uh, Australia. So he's had people in his studio here that were on vacation, celebrities from Law & Order, Sesame Mm -hmm. Street, KFC commercial... Um, and he's able to record back to these hubs mm-hmm. directly from his his studio here in Kona. So the goal is to try to get people to rethink Hawaii in the, in, right. in Hollywood and in the creative industries and going, guys, we're not only an amazing place to visit and be on vacation, but we've got these great incentives. Mm-hmm. Use our time zone, by the way. Like working here with the time zone is awesome. Yeah, You get up early. You know, and and you you work the time zones, and then by three or four o'clock, the rest of the world is shut down, and you can go surf and hang out with your family exactly. or whatever. Exactly. So there's there's ways to to really take full advantage of of these islands in it in an, in a way that is honoring to the people here. And so I I, I feel like um, we're a little bit of a, a hidden gem, mm-hmm. and so our goal is to put it on the map, and we're we're hopefully moving into production here in the next few months on one of our, our first bigger projects. And uh, it will be soup to nuts, uh, Hoi, mm-hmm. made in Hoi, um, developed here, shot here, edited here, 
sound designed here, all of that. That's amazing. And, and it'll be one of the very first that will have, have gone through that whole process, you know, here in the islands completely. And um, so we're stoked and yeah, um, hopefully it's one of, one of many and uh, we'll see. Yeah, I'm super, super excited for everything. I was I was pretty blown away when I came here, and you told me you had a studio, and I was like, okay. But then I come in and I see this, and yeah, you literally, I, I'm, I walk in, and it's like a restaurant right here, and a cafe, and yeah, I was just like, holy moly, and then you see all the conference rooms, and yep, yep. No, we've and, had- and then you start hitting this back stuff. Well, we've had tremendous support from the community like starbucks gave us that furniture you saw out there right. when borders bookstore went out under we we recycled a bunch of their stuff yeah the fancy tables you saw out there were all donated the photography on the walls uh-huh. our local photographers yeah. you might have done some podcasts with them actually yeah. and the woodwork that you're seeing is local artists re- using recycled wood um the desks and chairs you see are are uh, recycled and so we have a co-op workspace too, just to plug our studio. So if there's people, yeah, tell you know, whatever you need. People want to, they can rent a desk from us. If uh-huh. they're, if they're like, let's say they're a, a graphic designer or a photographer or whatever, and they want a place with fast internet that's air conditioned, that's in a cool location, they mm-hmm. can rent a desk from us or an office. Um, they can use our facilities. Um, so we're, we're open for business Yeah. and our, our goal is the to, sound room, the just sound, sound e- design. everything people need to do sound, sound music recording. Um, but yeah, the private fiber in particular, there's nothing like it in, in the islands. And, and that's huge. So. Cause I want to try that out whenever I, uh, download this podcast back to LA, see how fast. Cause right now it's taking me a couple hours. To download, Come back, work with our guy. Two to four gigs. Yeah, no, we can, we can hook you up, man. Um, it can, it's it's pretty impressive. We yeah. we did a a demonstration between Warner Brothers, Honolulu, and Kona, in 4K on a massive screen at Warner Brothers with with a hundred and something cynical Hollywood executives. Wow! And we we were able to collaborate real time, so manipulating footage here in Hawaii. So the Guys at Warner Brothers in L.A. were giving us instruction, and we were manipulating it here, but they could see it in 4K on the big screen. And then that allows uh, artists and and technicians in Hawaii to -hmm. be able to stay relevant and work from here. And that's that's our big challenge, as you know, Dozer, is the the whole brain drain thing, Mm -hmm. where, where our best and brightest, many of them get sucked away you know and they, they want to be home but there's just not their opportunity so that's what we're trying to do and and we've had an amazing run with our our friends in government both uh, billy Kanoy and and his administration here at the county mm-hmm. as well as governor Ige and and the dbet department guys like carl fuchs and others um that are in the creative industry georgia skinner and so many amazing people people talk about how difficult government can be to work with. It really hasn't been that way with us at all. Everyone's rowing the same way. Yeah, and They really want to see this happen. They want to see it happen. And, and so we're, we're privileged to be able to partner with them. And um, from a local industry standpoint, we want to 
basically our, our whole motto is made in Hawaii but created for the world. We, right. we want to be cranking out stuff that the world sees. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm super stoked for you, and, and whatever I can do to help promote this place, Thank I'm going to do it. Um, and, of course, I'm going to be sending a lot of my friends that come into town to uh, to do work or just on vacation and bring them in just so they can see what kind of stuff you got going on here. Awesome. So um, we're about to wrap this up. I want to thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Well, you still have to answer that one question for me. I know. Okay. I've I've got I've had quite a few, but I'm trying to think of one that something good, something good, something scary, maybe uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've. Um, in terms of scary, I think the first real scary thing I saw was was an Egyptian lady who was crippled, that was like possessed with a demon, and it took all these men to hold her down, and it was it. Wow. I was like ten years old, and. She she had a cane and stuff and uh-huh. and it just I I she had all these noises coming out of her and stuff what? and it was like a it was like a full on horror movie exorcist looking type yeah, thing. yeah yeah it was crazy so I've 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 seen that I know there's real evil out there you know yeah and, there is and um, and in terms of the other side you know I've seen um, just a faithful God where you you were kind of on a you know, wing in a prayer, like where you're just, you got a dream, you got a vision. And when, when it just feels like it's, it's not going to happen. And it's, it's amazing to see how, if your your heart's in the right place and you're, you're on an honorable quest where, where I believe, um, God will use people in your life mm-hmm. to help you make it to those goals, right? you know, and I, I believe it's very intentional. You know, some people use the word karma and stuff, but I, I, I believe in that it's, it's much more intentional than that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen so many times, you know, being a filmmaker, your life is, is so random yeah. and it's, it's feast or famine. And, um, I've seen, I've had people come up and, and just out of the blue back me say, I believe in your project. David, I'm going to stand behind you. Uh-huh. And every time it's humbling. So I think the moment you start thinking it's you yeah. is the moment that you're screwed. And, Absolutely. And you got to continue to look beyond yourself and go, okay, there's the big guy upstairs who's looking out for me. And that's that's where I need to continue to point my the credit to. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to think on other stories. I'm sure I'm going to kick myself as soon as we wrap up here. That's all right, because oh, we're going cool to end up doing another podcast next Good. year or sometime and yeah. see where you're at. Awesome. And Maybe you can come on the set. and I uh, think we're going to have some, we talked about it earlier, we're yeah. going to have some other times when you are doing a project and we get some of these actors and actresses yeah. in here and we all sit down and we help promote a movie or promote yeah. the studio or what's going on. Yeah. So there's going to be some really good times. I think that you're going to jump back in on this podcast. So yeah, awesome. remember those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me and thanks Dozer for bridging Hawaii to, to the world. And I know you're passionate about this place yeah. and, uh, there's the more we have of folks like us waving the flag, I exactly. think uh, we get to stay home more and longer. <laughs> exactly. Well, once again, thank you for being on the show. Thanks yeah. for letting me come into this beautiful Honua Studios right here in Kailua yeah. Kona. HonuaStudios.com. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anything else you want to give out about it? No, no. Just come check us out. H H O N U A Studios.com. 
And if you're in the creative industries and you want to learn more about how to get into our accelerator, you can go to the gvsaccelerator.com and see how you can apply to get into our program. And what about Dave's studio here? Is that all connected through Honua? It is. He's got his own website at 2020sound20 and then the word 20 spelled out. Or wait, the other way around. The word 20 and then the, the number 20. But you can also go to the Film Commission site that is... Um, has all of this stuff, gotcha. which is hawaiiislandfilm.com, hawaiiislandfilm.com. And then we're going to have links for all of this on my website oh, as well, too. Perfect. So if people want to go directly to come check you guys out, yep. you go to my website, dozenose.com. They'll see your podcast. Great. They'll see all the links. And we'll have some cool pictures of this place. And I think there's a short little video that kind of tells all about Honua Studios and what you've done here. And awesome. Super excited. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Thanks for Dave. having us. All Thanks right, for being man. on the show. All right. All right. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And until next week, uh, hooey ho. Dave, thanks for being on the show. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Doze Knows. And once again, you guys can all find me on social media, such as Facebook at Dozer Dave Barnett or Instagram Dozer Dave or on Twitter at Dozer Dave Knows. Or go to my website, Dozer Doze Knows. Yeah, it's www.dozenose.com. You guys can check out all the latest uh, podcasts. You get to see a little bit more in depth about the guests that are on the show, um, plus their own links and bios to their websites as well. Sometimes they have little video clips and stuff that kind of tells all about themselves, and it's awesome. And you guys are all awesome. But speaking of awesome, this show couldn't happen without the help of my sponsors. Maverick Sport Fishing right here in Kona. Captain Trevor Child. He is one of the best fishermen here in Kona. He's got the most raddest boat. If you want to get a hold of him, it's 808-896-7985 or www.maverick.sportfishingkona.com. These guys do all-day charters, overnight charters, half-day charters, three-quarter-day charters. They have top-of-the-line gear. Um, if you guys are wanting to catch that dream 1,000-pound marlin, well, this is where you got a good chance of catching it. So go see Captain Trevor Child at maverick.sportfishing.com. MaverickSportFishingKona.com. Also, uh, GoPro, those little tiny cameras that have been transforming the way people visually capture and share their lives. Um, yep, we got them right here. GoPro has become a standard for how people capture themselves engaged in their interests, whatever they may be. So go visit GoPro at GoPro.com or find them on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, Hurley Clothing, those phantom board shorts that you guys always see me wearing when I'm out shredding, you know, doing those big air reverses. Yep, I've got the phantom Hurley board shorts on. I think I usually wear the John John ones because they kind of look the coolest. But you guys can go check them out at Hurley.com. See what else that they have to offer. They have great clothes, travel gear. They're the best surf clothes lifestyle clothes on the planet also i want to thank original nutritionals 
These guys aren't just your basic meathead supplement brand. It's pure basic and essential food and supplements to support what they call a clean athlete lifestyle. My buddy Logan founded this company with a food-first approach, working with average men and women like you and I to the best action sports stars and team sport athletes in the world. These guys know how to do it right. Head over to OriginalNutritionals.com. Grab what you need for listening. Enter in promo code DOZENOSE at checkout. Get 15% off. That's 15% off with DOZENOSE at checkout. Deuce Gym in Venice Beach. These guys are awesome. You go in there, they'll customize a workout that works for you. Whether you're 8 or 80, they know how to take care of you, how to make a workout customized for you. I think I already said that. But... But uh, they will get you in shape. They will get you healthy. And whether you're into strength training or cardio or uh, just toning it up a little bit or you want to go super strong, man. CrossFit, these guys, they have it all. So go check them out. Deuce Gym in Venice Beach. Also, Kona Coffee and Tea, right where I get my morning crack every single morning. They grow their coffee up on the slopes of Wallalai, roast it, bring it down every morning nice and fresh for all of us to enjoy. That's where you guys are going to find me. I'm usually there around 8.30 in the morning having some coffee, saying hi to friends. The girls all greet me with a smile and a fresh cup of warm coffee, hot coffee. And uh, yeah, go check them out. Or you can find them at KonaCoffeeandTea.com. Also, Kona Boys. You guys all know I'm a fan of the ocean. That's why I live on the Big Island. Kona Boys have been serving up gear for island life and aloha since 1996. They're the one-stop shop for ocean fun. They operate a legit selection of local-style activities, including historical va'a rides, that's the Hawaiian Outrigger canoe, paddleboard tours, and lessons, and they're one of the only companies permitted to do kayak tours in Kalakakua Bay. If you need rentals for bikes, boards, boogies, or other beach goodies, go to Kona Boys. They have two locations. One is at the King Kamehameha Beach Hotel, Kamakahonu Bay, right at the pier in downtown Kona. And the other one is down south in Captain Cook. It is uh, where they have pretty much everything you can think of in that location. Go see Frank and Brock. They're my boys. And if you say that you heard this on Doe's Nose, you get 15% off right off the bat. Or you can go check them out at KonaBoys.com. Enter in promo code DOZNOS at checkout. Get another 15% off. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. You guys are all awesome. I can't wait to see you guys next week. And I have another special guest, Justin Lee. You're going to love this guy. So until then, uh, hooey ho. If you don't know, now you know. Those knows. Everybody knows those knows.